Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. Hello there, it's six o'clock, just gone. I'm Michelle Jubery and this is Jubes and Kerr, a special one tonight. And what a treat for me. They've let me out of the studio. I'm here. I'm in Lee, Greater Manchester. Now, I will very quickly show of hands to the people of Lee. Are you convinced? Impressed? Yes? Liz for leader, hands up if you think. Oh, not many, yes. Not many with the hands down. Quite a convinced audience, perhaps. Uh, what do you reckon? Uh, and tonight, it's not just about Liz Truss and the audience here. You at home still matter to me. You know the drill on Jubes & Co. You can get in touch with your thoughts, gbviews at gbnews.uk. But let's get straight into it, shall we? Uh, question number one was about the cost of living, the most important issue to many of you. Let's listen to what Liz had to say. What, what are you going to do to help everybody, really? Well, first of all, I completely understand how difficult it is and that families are struggling at the moment with the cost of food, with the cost of energy, which has been going up. Firstly, I would reverse the national insurance rise and I'd also have a temporary moratorium on the green net energy levy. So from day one, families are keeping more of their own money and they're also saving on the fuel bill. Do you literally mean from day one? Can you have an emergency budget to change the Finance Act on day one? It's got to go through three stages of Parliament before it becomes the new law of the land. I will get it in as soon as possible. But That's not day be, one. Well, That's as soon well, as possible. It, I will act on day one to make it happen as soon as possible, but it will happen well before April, which is when traditionally the tax year you know, starts but I will do it as soon as I can. I'll make sure the Chancellor does it as soon as he can. And my fundamental approach is that we need to keep taxes low. What we shouldn't be doing is taking money from people in taxes and then giving it back to them in benefits. Neil, do you want a bailout now or do you want Truss's tax cuts by April? That's not all I'm going to do, Alistair. So you haven't let me finish That's a big thing to say and I I want his reaction. I need something now. And I think people need something now. That's we a fault line in your campaign with Rishi. Wait. Rishi will give money to him now. You will say, come April. No, I'm... Sorry, I'm giving the money straight away. But I'm, what I'm about is about people keeping more of their own money and not taking it in tax. But you're opposed to I'm handouts. Also you're, having, you're on the record of saying yeah, you're opposed uh, to handouts. I've also said that I will have a temporary moratorium on the green energy levy, yeah. which will save everybody money on their fuel bills. Well, I'm joined by Alistair Stewart. And Alistair, I'll come to you in just a second. Uh, but actually, Neil, I'm going to come to you first. It was your question. Are you happy with the answer? Um, I think so. Um, the, the bit about the, uh, the emergency budget, I think would, that, that is what we actually need. And we do need the, we need the policy in place and, and the changes need to happen immediately. So I think from our answer, yes, um, I, I do believe that the changes will, will happen. There you go, it's a thumbs up from Neil. What do you think uh, to what you just said at home, by the way? Let me know whether or not you're convinced. Uh, Is Liz the woman to help with your rising bills? Alistair, what did you think to the answers? My headline point is I thought she was remarkably candid where she didn't want to give an answer or a commitment. She said that. She didn't try and dance around on the head of the pin. And I think on that vital question about the cost of living, there was a fault line within what Liz said. 
and I explained to her that you can't do an emergency budget on day one of your premiership. Mm. You can voice your intent to do it, but it's about changing a thing called the finance bill to pass a piece of law which enshrines the budget. And I think, unless I got it wrong, she said it will be by April that all of those measures will be in force. And I think it is a fault line between her campaign and Rishi Sunak's, because Sunak is talking about doing stuff that you can do immediately through the bailouts, mm. whereas she's talking about stuff that requires a change in law, which she was very honest to you uh, about. But I think we need to look very closely at the time scale mm. for it to be achieved. It was a point well picked up, I thought, by you. Uh, and I could see, actually, I was watching the viewer inbox at the time, Alistair, and a lot of people were saying that was a good point to make, because often in these leadership competitions, People sometimes, I just think they say whatever they want you to, what yeah. you want to hear, just so you put the tick in the box. Yeah. So actually to sit and get some real meat on the burns there, what do you mean when yeah. you say day one? And I, and I think also in that conversation about the waspy women mm. uh, and the war widows, uh, she could have tried to flounder and flam, but yeah. she wasn't. She was a lovely lady sitting behind me now. She said, I'm sorry, we've looked at it. I don't think we can revisit it, whereas the war widows, there's a possibility there. Yeah, and I will come on to Waspy Women uh, towards the end of the programme, but uh, I bet lots of you, if any of you are watching, you won't necessarily be happy with what you had to hear uh, today. Uh, I don't think my mum would. She's a Waspy as well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, audience generally, uh, were you convinced by the cost of living answer from Liz? No? Yes? Uh, mixed bag, but I have to say I'm seeing quite a few head shaking. Quite a few head shaking. What are you saying, sir? I think Alistair's got a point about the fact it's going to take a, a little while to implement the the, the, the act of parliament to yeah. put it into practice, really. Yeah, indeed. Uh, what about uh, scrapping green levies? That's one of the things that she was suggesting uh, that she was going to do. Do you think that will really make a big difference? Well, she again, I thought it was interesting that she, she directly took on Rishi Sunak on that point because she said he's talking about the VAT, which the gentleman who I think is sitting there, uh, you raised it at the very end there. Uh, and she said, no, I don't think that's the right thing to do. My green levies will yield as much for people like you as it would do. And I think what she and her team are looking at is what they can do immediately, whether it's to be technical through orders in council or just rewriting the rules and regulations. And, and don't forget her big buddy, Therese Coffey, uh, is the Secretary of State at the moment for work and pensions. So quite a bit of it could be done through her department as well. Yeah, I mean, she was talking tough as well, wasn't she? She was talking about she's going to deal with supply. And I was having a quick look, actually, the latest guidance from Ofgem is saying that these green levies, they count for about 9 to 12 per cent of electricity electricity bills at the moment uh, but at least you know I, I've been saying about pausing these levies for quite some time it seems like basic common sense at least in the short term Catherine uh, one of my viewers at home has been in touch saying I think Liz has integrity she's responsible and has a sense of purpose for the future of the UK uh, Sean says I liked Liz's answers they sounded sincere and down to earth but being a uh, skeptic she says I go on deeds done now post-covid and not just words for the future. Brian, however, he says uh, she's lacking any dynamism or drive to bring about the radical changes needed. Uh, very underwhelmed, Brian says. Susie says weak and flimsy. Ooh, that's a bit harsh, uh, Susie. But Peter says Liz Truss is certainly winning me over. Um, David, the only thing I want to hear right now is the responsibility, the reintroduction of responsibility at every single level of government. Do you think she'll deliver that, Alistair? I, I thought the answer on grooming gangs was really genuinely enlightening because she not only recognised that it was 
evil that was being done, but that political correctness had interfered with the policing of it. And you know as well as I, she's a former Justice Secretary. Yes. She knows what she's talking about in that territory, and that's why I put it to her. I say, you're changing the culture. That means you've got to read the Riot Act to the new Metropolitan Commissioner and his new uh, deputy, who's a brilliant, brilliant woman. But unless that is really addressed, it's just going to be so much talk. Yeah, and a lot of people will say, to your point, she was a Justice Secretary, so if you wanted to get tough on grooming gangs and the words around it, etc., there was your chance of sorts. Why didn't you do it then? That's uh, a thought. I suspect that some of my viewers tonight might be pondering. Uh, right, let's move on to a different issue. At the wild west of the internet, uh, we all know what it's like out there, especially on some social media sites. Liz Truss was again talking tough when it came to things like protecting under-18s, for example, uh, getting tough on adults being able to say things online that they can say offline let's listen to what she has to say you are right about that you are right about that what i want to make sure the online safety bill does is protect the under 18s from content that is damaging and i have two daughters who are aged 13 and 16 and i worry about some of the material that they can access online i also worry about the impact of social media on them before they are yet fully adult and fully able to take responsibility. I very strongly agree with you, though, where it's about adults being able to freak, speak freely, they absolutely should be, and it should be the same online as offline. That's a really important principle, and I'll make sure that the online safety bill does reflect that. Well, the person that asked that question was Theo. Theo, uh, were you convinced by the answer? I am convinced, however, I still believe there is more that can be said and more to be done. Obviously, Tom talks about this issue a lot as well regarding the online safety bill. I mean, the legislation is going through Parliament at the moment, obviously, regarding free, uh, higher education freedom of speech. You know, we've seen today, again, Pulitzer Prize winners, authors' books being removed from university libraries. I feel like there's a lot of rhetoric going on at the moment, but not mm. a lot of action. I know the legislation's going through, but I feel like we need tougher action and especially quickly, again, with the online safety bill, because it's not a piece of legislation that I believe, personally, a Conservative government should be pushing through Parliament at the moment. Mm. And um, Andrew Pearce joins me now, political... Uh, you've got a column, haven't you? The Daily Mail, I'm yeah. sure many people are familiar with yeah. you. Tom Harwood, uh, our political correspondent as well. Tom, I'll tell you who got a mention today, Kemi Badenoch mm. as well. What do you think Certainly. of that? Well, I think those two points that uh, you've just brought up and that was just brought up there, those were two of the biggest new news lines of this evening. It's very, very tricky in a forum like this to deliver a new news line after what feels like a very long time mm. of this leadership contest, after however many hustings there have been, however many debates. But we heard new lines there. New lines on Kemi Badenoch Let's being part of Liz Truss's top way. team. Let's hear uh, the Kemi Badenoch line, and I'll come straight back to Tom. Certainly. Um, Somebody who fired the imagination of the public was Kemi Badenoch. Mm. And I would really love to see her given a meaty role. I know you can't Do you have commit. any ideas about what that role should oh, be, Jane? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> Foreign Secretary, if there's... Uh, <laughs> There might be a role going there. Look, I, so, don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. And this, this leadership campaign is still going on. But I can tell you that... I will make sure the best players in the Conservative Party are on the pitch. If and I'm elected Lena as leader cabinet. and and Lena. I'm well, Lena cabinet. Well, I think we need all the cabinet positions filled because there's a lot there's a lot to be done. But what I can promise is a Lena number ten. Okay. Because I don't believe in micromanagement. I think 
number 10 has become a bit too presidential and we do need cabinet ministers to have both the authority mm. and the responsibility uh, for what they're delivering. And, you know, Kemi, I've worked with her as Women and Equalities Minister. You know, we've taken on a lot of the, uh, the agenda of people who were trying to deny that women were women and, and so on. So I think she's absolutely brilliant. And I would definitely want her as part of my team if I am successful. What do we even make of that? Well, it seemed like she said that that's Kemi Badenoch in her cabinet. Yeah. And that's something new. That's potentially the first time we've heard in the entirety of this leadership campaign that someone will definitely be in someone's cabinet. Because the whole of this leadership campaign, from both of both sides, they've been saying, I don't want to uh, pre-do any of this. But also it points to something very important on culture and on free speech. Mm -hmm. Kemi Badenoch, in the early stages of this leadership contest, was one of the strongest candidates on the free speech question. And it links in back to that question of the online safety bill. Mm. There'd been some ambiguity on Liz Truss's position on the online safety bill, on this concept of legal but harmful, something that is legal offline being made illegal online. Well, Liz Truss could not have been clearer tonight that for adults, at least, she would want to review that and change the bill. That's a significant piece of news to come out this evening. Indeed. And Andrew Pearce, what did you hear some of what you've been hearing? I'll tell you what struck me about the audience, the real raw anger over the failure of the government to deal with the migrant crossings across yeah. the channel. Now, one of the reasons we voted for Brexit was to get control of our borders. They failed on that. Now she talked very tough on it, which is very reassuring. And there was also real, real anger in this audience about the disgraceful way the police turned a blind eye over the grooming gangs. And it was quite right. They were largely Pakistani gangs in Rochdale and Oxford, and it was ignored. Now she talked tough on that too. She's got to deliver on it because there's a real sense in this country that the, that the state, the police are not operating for the people. It's all about political correctness. And dare I use this word, wokery, the scourge. She's got to become the scourge of wokery. And if she's got Kemi Badenoch in the cabinet, that will help. The other thing I thought was encouraging, I know people who, of course, hugely worried about the cost of living crisis, there will be an emergency budget within a matter of weeks. It'll be before the end of September, which means some of these tax cuts, the removal of national insurance, will come through much more quickly than perhaps people realise. I don't think it's going to be enough, and I think she missed a trick today because in the mail today, what people will have seen, uh, because of Rishi Sunak uh, freezing personal allowances on our income tax, that's going to take millions of people into higher wage brackets. So you give us money back with national insurance, and then you're going to take it back with higher income, uh, putting people in higher tax brackets. So I think she's got to work on that still. But it's all about the economy, and uh, and I really think she should have missed a trick with these energy companies. British Gas made. It's one point, what was it? I've read it down. 1.6 billion pounds in six months compared to 230 million last year. She should call those bosses in from the energy companies, lay down the law and say, cut the prices. And do you think that, because obviously she used to work at Shell as well, so do you think that uh, she might have some kind of, I don't know, insider track that other people seem to be lacking? Because let's face it, no one really has done much when it comes to these energy companies. No. We had a lot of chat, but not much real action. Uh, do you think that she can deliver on that? Well, um, we, we're going to get the £400, which everybody gets the £400, but there was an opportunity there on VAT on fuel, mm. and I think it would be a very popular thing to get rid of VAT on fuel. Uh, she didn't vote for Brexit, of course, we have to remember that in 2016, but she's a convert to Brexit. She has the zeal of a Brexit convert, but I think the VAT should be chopped off the fuel. Great. Why not? What's not to and do? And what do you what think uh, to like? what you heard, um, Tom, in terms of the economy and all mm. the rest of that? I think she could have been clearer on the time
timescale of this emergency budget. We heard some reports uh, earlier this week that actually that could come as soon as September, before the Conservative Party conference. It could come in the last week of September. I think she should have made that point mm. a little bit more clear this evening because she mentioned April uh, as the time that a budget would normally come, but obviously an emergency budget would be on a different timescale to that. And with her size of majority that she would inherit from Boris Johnson, of course, a lot more is possible. I think that was one of the key points about this leadership contest, actually, that there's a sense that the majority wasn't being used, mm. that you've got this Thatcher-size majority, the scale of authority mm. in Parliament, and yet uh, at the slightest sound of criticism, U-turns were made, and the media could play a big part in that. The opposition, very small opposition, the Labour Party is the smallest in Parliament it's been since 1935, yeah. and yet on so many cases they seem to be calling the shots. I think that to some extent there's an argument that the majority can be used, and the thrust of Liz Truss's campaign is that she wants to change the way things are done in Whitehall, and it's become a, a funny sort of change campaign. The candidate that was the person who wanted Boris Johnson to stay in the role has taken on the mantle of the person who wants to change the way that things are done more. It's a funny uh, twist to this election, but I think it's probably the reason why we're seeing in so many opinion polls now Liz Truss doing quite so well. She yeah. could start by going to the Treasury when she becomes Prime Minister and booting out all those senior civil servants who were there in Gordon Brown's reign and are still doing things the same way. It's full of them. And they are doing, and, and, and also in the Home Office where they're doing everything they can to block the Rwanda migration scheme. She's got to take on these civil servants who are opposing the government. Yes, yeah, I, I find it uh, interesting what you said about immigration because yeah. I had a different view and um, it's making me wonder if we watch the same thing because you were saying she was talking really tough on immigration and I want to uh, pick this the immigration point up towards the end of this programme with Nigel Farage. I'll talk to him about it. But my view, she didn't talk tough at all. In fact, actually, she didn't really answer some of the, the points oh. and questions about pushbacks, about French fishing licences. Yeah. So for me, that would be the area that I would say she was lacking I in. like the gentleman's suggestion that we put some of these migrants on ships and send them back. That's a very good idea. Oh, and that was also, Phil. Yeah, that Phil, was very Phil. good point, Phil. I like that. And that got the biggest clap, actually. But the other thing is, is she going to turn the boats back? I'm told that the, the, the Ministry of Defence won't allow it. Well. It's a little bit of a tricky issue for her, of course. She's currently, and she is still the Foreign Secretary. Yeah. So when we're talking about international agreements, she is half talking as a candidate, of course, but she's also the Foreign Secretary in charge of foreign policy as things stand. That might be holding her back to some extent in terms of talking about partnerships that we currently have with other countries. I wonder to what extent that rhetoric might change a little bit when she's no longer Foreign Secretary and when she really is, uh, if she were to become Prime Minister, in that role she might be able to speak more boldly than the confines of diplomatic culture. Do you think I'm being harsh? I, I don't think necessarily because there was some ambiguity yeah. there. Of course, we do know that it's different. For example, the Australians have their turn back policy. They can do that because it's international water. We know that the channel is not particularly wide. There's no international water there. Where British water stops, French water begins. And so unlike with the Australians, when they don't really have a country that can push back against their policy, when we're talking about the potential for pushback, and it's something the Home Office has explored to some extent, it really does mean dealing with the French and the French do not like it. So there's a lot uh, of complexity to that potential well, Phil problem. Had, Phil had the answer. Yeah. Uh, the man Phil, he knows what he's talking about. He was saying, if you don't cooperate with us, we'll hit you where it hurts. We'll take your fishing licenses. Yeah. Phil, uh, you should have applied for a job. <laughs> <laughs> you could have got yourself in the cabinet. Um, Shell, although there may be you know, um, you know, repercussions from that, they may block the, the, um, the Dover 
you know, crossover. We could go to Antwerp, we could go to Rotterdam and bring our bring our ships and our and our goods in from there, or mm. even use Gibraltar if necessary. But we must do something yeah. about this. This this it's, it's impossible. Apparently, the government have paid four billion pounds for a ten-year lease on hotel rooms in this country for ten years. So they're not expecting to solve this in the next ten years. It must be done now. Mm. And the only way we can do that, and I know that Rwanda is a landlocked country, but you could fill these ships, drop them off at Kenya or the nearest country, and then <laughs> bust them in on in, in buses. But I think if you did that just a couple of times. Mm. The crossings would stop. So it's, it's very, very persuasive. It needs to get a CV with Nigel, in. Nigel, perhaps, is yeah. this issue yeah. of the ECHR, which, yeah, of course, definitely. Liz Truss did bring up. She would talk about the British Bill of Rights, making sure they couldn't overrule us. She didn't talk about leaving the she ECHR. Didn't. That's something that Suella Braverman was talking about at the early stages of this contest. Suella Braverman ended up backing Liz Truss, but Liz isn't quite going as far as her on the question of the ECHR. I know that Nigel is now campaigning to leave the ECHR, mm. but there's a bit of a dividing line there. How far can you? go whilst legislating to make sure they cannot overrule British law, but almost staying within the auspices of it. It's an interesting point. It is indeed, and I will be discussing that with Nigel Farage. Uh, a bit later on in this programme, you guys are in contact, and I have to say, there's so many mixed opinions. Um, Liam, uh, sorry, Lillian, uh, changing your gender there for you. Uh, Lillian, I'm, so, I'm down with the kids these days. Uh, right, Lillian says, Liz Truss came over very well. She answered all the questions as honestly as she could, and she did not make promises on things she could not alter. But Laura says, I just hope that the Conservative members vote for Rishi Sunak. Liz Truss would be an absolute disaster. So, I mean, this is, I could carry on doing those kind of counters, but literally my uh, inbox is filled like that. One person I, thinks she's know, wonderful. I think she's improved throughout the course of this campaign. She's got more confident, more assertive. She's also displaying quite a lot of humour, which she wasn't at the beginning. And let's be mm. honest, she can be a little bit wooden after all. Uh, but I think she's improved considerably. And I think Rishi Sunak is just too polished. Just too slick. Do you? Yeah, I do. I what do. do you want? And, a scruff bag? Yeah, and, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, just, just wearing three thousand, three and a half thousand pound suits during, during a cost of living crisis—is that really how ordinary people are going to relate to and, him? And yet, consistently in the hustings that we've seen. Whenever Rishi Sunak talks about defending the ability of people to spend their own money, about yeah. doing well, about Conservatives defending the idea that people should be able to do well and that we shouldn't have this politics of envy, he always gets a very big round of applause. So I, I worry about Conservatives in general going down the language of the left on yeah. this issue. But Potentially that can be self-destructive. But he talks about spending our own money. He's the only Chancellor in the G7 who's, raised, who's raising taxes, and I cannot see how that is economically sustainable. He's the only one in the G7. Well, I'll be talking actually to a Tory MP that is backing Rishi Sunak as well a bit later on in the programme. Uh, I wonder, because she was watching the Liz Trust debate with me, I wonder if she changed her mind. She was sitting there. I wonder if she heard anything that said, actually, I've got it wrong. Liz is the woman not. for me. I suspect not as well. But you never know these days. Stranger <laughs> things have happened. Um, also, I mean, there's a lot of criticism coming through about what the cost of living. Robert says Liz Trust had nothing to say to help people with the cost of living living crisis, except the same old stuff we've heard before, revoking the national uh, insurance increases. But I mean, 
you've got to give them due, both candidates. They kind of, they've got their path, they're sticking to it, they're not flip-flopping around. Rishi could have sat there and thought to himself, you know, I didn't do a lot really well, previously. Rishi did flip-flop on VAT, I'm sure. Yeah, but he's not kind of sat, I don't think anyway, I don't think he's sat and bent and breezed and said, actually, I'm not very popular at the moment and I know what I could do. Just, I don't know, shake my money tree, give everyone an extra whatever it is, get some tick boxes in my name. He hasn't done that. I You've got to admire that. a clearer evolution of Rishi Sunak's position since the start of this campaign. He initially said no tax cuts until inflation is kept under control. And then as this cost of living crisis has really grown at scale and we've learned more about it, he has said that he would do some tax cuts before inflation was brought under control. That is a, a shift in his position, although Rishi Sunak's team is now saying that Liz Truss is evolving her position on the idea of potentially handout help to people who don't pay tax. The very poorest in society, potentially some targeted direct support from Liz Truss to them, although she says she doesn't want to reveal her entire budget before we know the detail on the ground. So I suppose there's an argument that you can make on both of these candidates that they have evolved their positions, although they would say, of course, that they are moving with the times as we're learning more about the international situation and, crucially, the international price of energy. Clearly, this is one of the issues where we've learned that a, a country domestically trying to put a price ceiling on something, the, the Theresa May's energy price cap clearly hasn't worked particularly well. A price cap doesn't build new power generation and a price cap doesn't stop international events that affect the international price of energy. I think supply-side reform is ultimately the medium to long-term solution to this and that's something that all the candidates seem to support. Yeah, and I just I would just wonder if it's translated and cut through to you at home because I know uh, that so many of you are really, really anxious at the moment about your energy bills and about how uh, how on earth you're going to pay them. We heard, didn't we, earlier on? Uh, someone asking the question to Liz Truss, explaining that they have to now take on a second job. Um, it's very desperate times for lots of people, isn't it? Uh, and by the way, did you notice the little comment about loyalty? Uh, Liz got in there, I did. Uh, we've just been mentioning uh, the ECHR. Uh, should we have a listen, in case you missed it, to what Liz Truss had to say on it? We've got people traffickers using boats that are not seaworthy to try and get illegal immigrants into this country and it is destroying lives and it is a huge criminal operation that we need to stop. And that is why I worked with Priti Patel and others on the Rwanda policy to find a safe place where people could live, where if people are entering the country illegally, we can then send those people to Rwanda. And what I would do if I'm elected as your Prime Minister, is make the Rwanda policy work by, through the British Bill of Rights, ensuring that we can't be overruled by the ECHR. Because you know that's been a problem, that we had the yes. ruling from the ECHR and that stopped the policy going ahead. So I would make sure we legislate for Britain that we are in control of our own policy and we can't be overruled by the ECHR. Well, I think I know someone who might have a strong opinion on Liz Truss's view when it comes to the European Court of Human Rights. Who am I talking about? Nigel Farage, of course. Nigel, good evening to you. What did you think to what you heard today? Well, I mean, you know, she was very composed all through 
uh, you know, the hour. But let's examine the answers, and in particular on this question. She had nothing to say, literally nothing to say, when she was asked by the questioner about pushback. Should we just send people back, send boats back to France? There was no answer whatsoever. So that means no, that's not going to happen. She seemed very proud of supporting the Rwanda policy. Well, so far, no. not a single person has gone. And then she goes back to the British Bill of Rights. Somehow, the British Bill of Rights is going to change our relationship with the European Court of Human Rights. And of course, under the treaty that we've signed, under international law, it will do no such thing. The British Bill of Rights will still be overruled by our commitment to ECHR. And it was really clear to me, I mean, if ever there was an opportunity for her to talk about this, it was in a debate with the great British public. She refused to do it. And on this issue, I can promise you, Prime Minister Liz Truss will just see tens of thousands more people crossing the English Channel, hotels filling up, access to doctors and dentists getting more difficult. Uh, and I'm afraid I thought it was very, very disappointing. She had a chance here to really break away from Rishi Sunak, and she didn't take it. Well, there you go. I think, uh, in a nutshell, uh, Nigel's saying there that Liz isn't doing much at all. Uh, and I have to say, that sentiment about immigration is coming through thick and fast. There's a lot of viewers out there uh, that I know wanted to have had more, tougher talking, more action. Uh, you tell me, was you happy with what you heard from Liz Truss today when it comes to the situation on the channel? Yes or no, gvreviews at gvnews.uk is my email address. But keeping me company now, uh, we've got the local Conservative MP for Lee, James Grundy, and Gillian Keegan, who's the MP for Chichester and the Minister of States for Care and Mental Health. Good evening. Uh, I'll Hi. start with you, if you don't mind. You are endorsing uh, Rishi. Mm -hmm. Still, even after listening to Liz tonight? Yeah, definitely. I think very long and hard before I make any decision in life. Um, and I did before I made this decision. And um, I'm pretty convinced that he's the right guy. Your um, first line of your endorsement for Rishi says serious times need serious people. Do you not think Liz Truss is a serious person? I think what I was meaning there is somebody who's got the relevant experience for what we're trying to uh, navigate through. And it really is all about the economy. And whilst it's always attractive, everybody wants tax cuts, you know, everybody always wants more money. You've got to look very, very carefully at the problem you're solving. And I spent 30 years in business before being an MP. I've only been an MP for five years. And the the problem we're solving, it, first of all, it doesn't help most people who need it, it doesn't help pensions, it doesn't help those on lower incomes. But more importantly, you've still got supply side inflation and it doesn't help the problem. So you've got to have targeted responses to actually solve the problem. It's quite, um, it's quite tricky to do that as you know, many former chancellors, any, you know, any Bank of England, lots and lots of economists have said. And I think Liz's answer is the wrong answer. And now what's happening is more and more because she's now sort of U-turning a little bit and saying, I will do some targeted help or I will give something, then that's just going to cost more and more money. And already our borrowing costs £83 billion. It's already going to cost over £100 billion. That's about double more than double defence. And it'll cost even more. So the economics of it don't add up. And that's, you know, as I say, I've looked at it long and hard. You've got to deal with the problem that faces you and then you can you know, cut taxes, grow the economy and cut taxes. But people in this room, I'm sure, I mean, gentlemen at the back, you're trying to raise your hand. Um, let me just try and get a microphone to you. Hang on one second. What are you, what's your thoughts? You've been putting your hand up. Yeah, it's just the things we keep hearing, politicians. 
there's tens of thousands of people working cash in hand. Tens of thousands of people, multiple welfare benefit yeah. claimants. All this stuff's going on all the time. You're spending our taxpayers' money really badly, and then you need extra for national insurance rights. I'm happy to do the same job, done it all my life. I'll pay my taxes, but you're wasting them. I'm not looking after the waspy woman. I'm not looking after the people that are ex-services. And you're arguing over somebody's budget, somebody else's budget. You waste absolute fortunes, but you never talk about that. Richie has not done anything about solving the problem with people cash in hand. And it's just a massive black market problem. We don't, we're not getting anything from them, national insurance, tax, but they're all taking off the yeah. welfare system. I mean, I understand that, and that's a perennial problem, right, that everybody's always trying to find those people who are trying to so avoid it. Well, the DWP, which is their job, they do, they do um, crack down on that, no. and we actually have fewer people claiming uh, benefits as well. something that says, if you claim and you, you work for Cash Land, whatever you claim, you'll get fined three times. And if somebody did, sure somebody dobs you in, they'll get 10% of the fine. Sure, It'll pretty, stop I'm in a day. Sure the first part It'll stop. It, I'm pretty sure the first part of it is already in place. But in terms of the taxes, so the big discussion of the, all of this is about this national insurance tax, right? This um, this 1.25%. I am the social care and mental health minister. So a big part of that is going to reform social care. And one of the things, Liz was right when she said this, and Rishi's right when they said this, when you look at all the problems in our uh, NHS, it's because of all the other systems around them not working well, whether it's the GP systems, the dentistry systems, or the social care systems. And what you need is to fix those systems. And we have never invested in a uh, in, in the care system. It's a massive private industry. We didn't but do it at the same not? time. Because you guys have been impacted. What I find really fascinating, and I don't wish to be rude, no, because no, I know that you, but one of the things that I find, I find so peculiar is that you Tories are talking about, we're going to do this, yeah. we're going to do that. You've been in power for over a right. decade. Why are you doing it? it? So in 1948, when we set up the National Health Service, there was a discussion whether to set up the National Care Service, and they decided not to, because it costs a fortune, which is why we need to raise the money. The reason they decided, I guess, is probably because people didn't live as long, and if they needed help, usually families stayed in local areas and looked after people. Fast forward now, to another sort of 70 years on, that's not the situation. Many, many more people living a lot longer with more complex needs, families living all over the place, and the expectations of care much higher. So, but when you look at solving it, and, and politicians have tried, actually the Labour Party tried to do it once, we tried, Theresa May tried in 2017, it went down very badly. Mm. The reason is, it's a difficult policy to explain because most people don't understand the existing system. Most people don't understand that today, if they get dementia and they end up going into a care home, they will pay down to their last £14,250. Most people do not understand today's system. It's only when you start to get involved. My nan had dementia. She lived in a council house 30 miles from here, which she bought under the right to buy. As soon as it, it, it then happens, you're horrified. Everything you've worked for, you talk about everything you've worked for, everything you work for goes into your care. If you've got cancer, it doesn't. We've never addressed it, but don't underestimate how big a thing it is to address. But the national insurance rise, and I work every day on this, it's so important to do, and it will help all of our other systems. Plus, it'll mean that all of us have a better deal when we're older for our families and for ourselves. So it's really important, and I'm proud our government 
gripped it under Boris Johnson. Yeah, uh, Boris I can't Johnson. say it, by the way. I think a lot of people do understand that if you have to go into social care, you basically lose all your money. What they would say to that is, hang on a second, why do I have to lose all my money yeah. when the fellow in the next bed, who's yeah. never worked a day in his life yeah. and has lived off benefits, gets the same care yeah. for free? It's I unsustainable, suspect that's right? what people are saying. It's James, unsustainable. Uh, what do you think? This is your uh, area. We, I think it was Pat, the Waspy woman, brought Waspy up. Uh, you were explaining to me earlier on that Lee has one of the highest numbers of Waspy women. Uh, yeah. Was you happy with what you heard? Um, uh, it's, it's a difficult one. And Pat Morgan, who spoke earlier on, has been a real champion for Waspy women in the constituency. Lee has one of the highest numbers of Waspy women in the country. And, um, and I've, I've had similar conversations, as, as Liz did with Pat, um, that it is very difficult to resolve. I think we were talking about this earlier on, a 58 billion it liability. 58 billion, yeah. if you wanted to plug it. Yeah, and I better, I better declare my interest here because my own mum is one of those mm. Waspy women. And my aunt. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm basically by extension, basically the mum of everyone mm. I went to school with. So it's a big issue. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can find something that we can do, but in terms of in terms of writing off the whole liability, the 58 billion, I don't think it's realistic. Uh, I think that's probably something that both campaigns would agree on. Um, the question is whether or not, as we get further down the line, we can squeeze something out and compensate uh, the worst yeah. effects in some. Do you know what I do find quite fascinating? There's many problems in this country. And often I will hear MPs say, well, we can't fix it because the cost of it's too high. So you're mentioning 58 billion on this uh, backlog. But yet then there seems to be a problem in another country. I'm thinking of Ukraine. And this is prompted by uh, an email I've just got in from Derek, I think it is. <coughs> People saying, well, how come we don't have the money or we're not prioritizing the money to fix problems here, but we're absolutely able to shake magic money trees for so many problems in other countries? Well, I think that the amount of money and aid, military aid that we sent to Ukraine is about two. Billion. 2.3 yeah. billion. So you're yeah. talking 2.3 billion for 58. But of course you can't compare the two yeah. either. Yeah. You can't. I mean, this is this is. A Are you comparing situation. the two at home? Are you sitting there thinking, hang on a second, I'm a waspy woman. I'm going to ask Pat in a minute. You, I'm a waspy woman. You're telling me that you can't help me because of lack of funds. Uh, are you happy with what you're hearing there or not? Where's Pat? Oh, there you are, Pat. Were you happy with what you heard? Absolutely not. Heartbroken is more like it. Aww. However, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm going to give you the puddle, but I don't think I'll get back on my chair if I do. I'm not surprised. Um, I don't think Rishi would give a different answer either. Um, but they, want, they really, really need to take note of the uh, Ombudsman's decision yeah. of over a year ago that, that agreed that maladministration had taken place. So there should be some recompense for that. Mm. And I still, Even I think if it's still it's a not, case going on, isn't there, as well? There's still yeah, but it will on, be up yeah. to the government, yeah. and we're urging for fair and fast compensation because in 14 minutes, every 14 minutes, a waspy woman dies without getting a pension. Mm. Okay, 250,000 waspy women have died without getting the pension that they've worked for for 40 plus years. That is something really, really badly wrong in a country like ours. It is. It We're is. We're not respecting people of our generation. We didn't have equality when we started work. Let's not forget that. Many women don't have a workplace pension of my age because they couldn't join them. It wasn't a case of whether they wanted to or not. We, live, we grew up in a completely different world, so to hit us with the equality stick mm. is a particularly cruel thing to do.
overall. Do you agree with that, James? Um, I think uh, I think it certainly feels that way for the women affected. Like I say, for, for my own uh, mum who missed out on getting her pension by a month and then yeah. had to wait years to get it um, when she was, you know, she wasn't from a wealthy background. She grew up on a council estate in the ex-mining village where I still live. Um, and, and for women like that, it's a massive, massive mm. burden because it's not like they have a load of wealth yeah. to defray those those changes. And they did have, it was unequal when they were, and you left school at 16 or 15 mm -hmm. even and started work. So, the, you know, the problem with this is when you try to change the pension age, which I think most people agree that we have to, right, because the whole system falls over if not, you become like Greece, you know, where they've never changed their pension age and everyone's living 10, 20, 30 years longer. It's unsustainable. These, these systems are a mathematical model. When you try to do them, it's always really hard. And they obviously, you know, it was all about how much notice people had, whether they got the notice and stuff like that, which, you know, is, it, it, but it's hard no matter what when you try to change any of those systems, any of those ages. And there's always someone who just misses out. And there's nothing worse than just missing out either. Six years. Yeah. From when you started school, you expected your pension yeah. at 60, yes. and then it gets hiked to 66. Mm. That can't be acceptable or reasonable in any society. I can tell you a lot of my viewers don't think it's acceptable mm. or reasonable, but Paul, uh, Paul's written in saying, personally, I think that when the country starts settling down, Liz will do something to help the waspy ladies. Uh, he says they might not get everything they want, but he feels quite sure that they'll get some sort of compensation. That's what Paul says. I admire your optimism, Paul. Uh, as I said earlier, my mum's one of these ladies. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that I concur with your view, and I suspect that time will be a, a great indication. Uh, James, let me just bring it back very briefly, if I may, to uh, where we are, Lee. You guys talk about Lexit. Lexit. Um, <laughs> I think you... that was the most popular policy of the night. You got the biggest <laughs> cheer. Yeah, what? I mean, what is it? So you want an independent council? Yeah, and to do to do what with what you want more devolution, you want more money. What I think I think that is basically what it comes down to. I mean, if you ask local people, uh, they consider one of the greatest mistakes the 1973 local government reorganisation. We were merged with what is effectively a, a, a rival town, a friendly rival town maybe called Wigan, and the feeling is locally that all the resources have gone to the Wigan end of the borough and that Lee has lost out. Right. Um, and uh, you've seen that numerous times locally where people say oh well yeah we've got this but if you look at how much Wigan's got they've got two three times as much and we've seen that recently with the leveling up fund uh, whereby Wigan Council applied for the full 20 million for Wigan then added another 11 million on top they only bid for uh, about 11 and a half million <laughs> Strong, there's a strong reaction anyone got any any thoughts they want to share on this particular topic gentlemen at the back there there is, of course, the logistics. Uh, if we become a small council, I'm not necessarily against it, there's got to be an awful lot of planning, an awful lot of changes, and the danger is it's going to cost local people an awful lot of money. What about the lady there? Where's the funding? I don't know. What it's going to cost us? Are our council taxes going up? Mm. Or is it just another one of these soundbites, you know, like Brexit were? Well, that was Brexit really give us really in the long run. It's still a disaster, isn't it? It's Ooh. still a disaster. The Brexit's a disaster. And now they're going to do Lexit. It's just a soundbite that keep James in his seat. I'm James, sorry, but I think it's wrong. Are you giving soundbites just to keep yourself in a job? No, this, you can ask. He says you are. Yeah. He says you are and she says you, you are. Ask. You sat on with Yes, I did. It's why I think it's a terrible organisation. Um, I had 13 years of experience of just how bad it was. 
Well, I've got to say that. How much will it cost? How much is, it, how much is my council tax going to go up to, to fund your vanity project? Our vanity project? It is a vanity project. You can't afford it. James, give us a cost. Give us a cost. How much a week is my council tax going to go up? How much a month is it going to go up? Do you know, James, do you know the answer to that? No, he doesn't. Hang on, because I can't hear him. Go on. Local government reorganisations are a three-part process and we've been through this before in various areas of the country. First of all, you have to establish whether there's public support for that project. And I think given the overwhelming reaction of this room, given that there's a handful of dissenters, that we probably can demonstrate support for that. The second part of the process is to establish whether or not that local authority would be viable. Now, there are many smaller local authorities in the country. Um, to give an example, uh, I mean, probably about a third of the local authorities in Scotland, probably about half the local authorities in Wales would be smaller than independently. It's not, uh, it's not about um, necessarily the money, because we don't get the money we pay into the pot at the moment. It goes off to Wigan. The point is that if we get control of our own money, we get to decide as a community how it should be spent. So there you go, control of the money, control of the decisions. That uh, apparently is the answer. Um, now, it's divided opinion, I can tell you that one. The temperature in this room, everybody, <laughs> has suddenly, somebody, some nice kind lady has given me a fan, so I'm all right. Uh, Phil, I've got a question for you. Uh, brief answer, if you will, because uh, I finish at seven. Um, like, you said at the start of this programme that you are uh, undecided, you're a member, you're undecided which way to go. Did Liz, Liz Truss convince you tonight? Yes. Oh, I, am, I, am, I am going to vote for Liz Truss. I've not, I've, said, I've not even filled the form yet, but I will be doing it online tonight when I get home. I've got to say, you've surprised me. I didn't think you was going to say yes. That's surprising. Why? I Why? don't know, because I didn't think that she'd answered some of your uh, points uh, very well, personally. But I'm pleased, actually. Exactly. There you go. That's one thing that we've achieved tonight, <laughs> Liz. The, th the thing is, oh, though, Michelle, yeah. Michelle one it's, it's always been a very touchy subject with immigration in this country. It's never been handled properly, and it needs someone to grab hold of the situation, stop pussyfooting around, stop promising things that and showing... Uh, jet skis turning boats back in the English Channel, which never happened. They've got to get to get a grip and they've got to play hardball with France and get them to start to take either people back or start popping boats. I think they need a big fill on the team. We'll get you there. You can sort it all out. Get your CV in. My dad says the same. Yeah. Oh, there you go. He's got a plan. Phil is a man with a plan. But, Gillian, what do you think that, to what you're hearing, a strong person, Phil's sentiment, is that that is not Rishi? Uh, well, it is, Rishi. Rishi's shown incredible strength. I mean, you know, three weeks after he was given the job as Chancellor, this whole country was stopped. In not only our country, the whole world's economy was stopped. And he had to deal no, with on, that. Hang on, the country wasn't stopped. The, the economy chose to stop the country. The economy was stopped. Whether we chose, we did choose it because it was a public health issue, right? We, we, and of course, at the beginning, we didn't have anything. We didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen. All we know was many, many elderly people were dying. And we were, you went you too far there, didn't you? Well, Locking well, down the economy for as long as you You know did. what? The easy thing to do, and I've discovered this myself, and I have these conversations with my dad, who's like Phil, and, and you know, my mum, who's 
teams like you, actually. They've always got the answers. There's always hindsight. You always, you know, you know what you do after the event. Mine when wasn't hindsight. I was saying at the time, right, pack it in. I know, but when you have the accountability and responsibility for the lives of people in the country, it's really a hard decision. This is a hard trade-off. But no matter what, the point was, just after the, um, the, the global economy had stopped, he then had to come up with a response. The IMF have even said that his response was one of the best in the world. We know that ourselves, right? Our businesses, I was the apprenticeships and skills minister at that point, and we were worried about millions and millions of uh, unemployment, youth unemployment going off the scale. We were putting all kinds of schemes in place because we didn't know. Nobody's ever closed an economy down before. We're seeing the problems now. All, all of this Would Richie close an economy down again? No, I'm pretty sure nobody would. In fact, he came back to fight with Omicron, and I was a health minister then. So you're in these discussions. You get lots of scientists telling you how bad it's going to be. You get lots of other people. You've got a load of, a dis of, of different opinions, and you have to decide without full information. Because, of course, you never have full information, right? This isn't a perfect world. And you have to make really tough decisions. And actually, he fought uh, very clearly for that, um, for, the, for Omicron, because the, the scientists were, you know, sort of edging us towards that. And in the end, we said no. So I think he's proven that as well. When you're in these situations, you never know what you're going to do. Everyone thinks they would. But if you've got the accountability... Phil would do. For, Phil would know his plans. What, what you, I'll tell it. you what, Phil. What, here's what goes wrong, right, some of the times. Because you get a load of advice from a load of civil servants, lawyers also. You, you, you don't have full control to That's just say... Uh, well, it is, but it's the way our system works, right? That is, And there's checks and balances in our system. You may not like all of it, but there's some good aspects of it, which is why many other systems around the world copy our system, actually. May, there's checks may, and balances. We may have a Conservative government, but we have a Liberal Democrat civil service running this country, and that's got to stop. Well, that's one of the things that uh, Liz it's is saying. It's supposed to be impartial, of course. Liz is going <laughs> to clamp down, isn't she, on some of the goings on at civil service, the Whitehall waste, etc. Is she, really? I, I do feel that it's an important issue for whoever becomes leader. I do feel, and I think many of the people in this audience feel, that sometimes the system is working against us. We're in government, but sometimes the civil servants are ensuring we're not in power. That has to change. We need to be able to deliver the, po uh, the policies that we've promised to people in our election. And if civil servants aren't being impartial, they need to get out of the way and stand down for someone who is. I mean, as a, as a minister and as prime minister and as cabinet ministers, you do... You can direct. I mean, you know, we are doing Brexit, right? I think it's pretty fair that, to say that many people perhaps in that, in that area didn't want to do it potentially. But we are, and we're getting on with some of the other policies, some of the other uh, clear things that we wanted to do. But, you know, you know even changing aspects of um, our technical education, and, you know, there's many people who have different views of this. You have to fight. I was a skills minister, you know. I felt like I was, I was the only apprentice in the village, you know, fighting an uphill battle to get everyone to recognise that apprentices, apprenticeships are just brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant for kids like me who, uh, who needed them at well, the Well, I'm going to try and do a very brief show of hands, because look at the time. We've had so much fun, everyone. The time has flown by. So we're almost at the end of the programme, so I'll do a very brief... It's not very scientific, I grant you. Uh, but if you, if you would and could and are going to vote for Rishi, show me a show of hands. Uh, hang on. <laughs> there must be one. Oh, there you go. There you go. We've, we found one. We found one. If you could and you would and you're going to vote for Liz, show me your hands. And what about if you're undecided, show me your hands. Oh, we've got... Has anyone actually met Rishi in this room? Oh, she wouldn't yeah. vote for any of them. Oh, crikey, there you go. You, you, could possibly, you could possibly be voting for a different party, potentially, right? Would you vote for a different party, potentially? At the moment, no. 
Oh, politically homeless. Completely at the moment. Politically homeless. Vote for any of those two. Oh, there you go. What a what a harsh it's way harsh to end the program, yeah. eh? Uh, I've got to sum up what I just heard with the unscientific hand-raising poll. Uh, there was one person that uh, is going to vote uh, for Rishi. Who uh, knows him well, who's who worked in business well, for 30 him. years, who knows the economy and thinks it's the right answer. Everyone else uh, would have gone or will go for Liz. And then we do have quite a few that wouldn't Lexi, vote for anyone it? at all. It was Lexit. You know what? It was Lexit what won it. On that note, I'm going to say Thank you. I'm going to say good night. Prime Minister for Lee. <laughs> there you go, Lee. Oh, you've been man. amazing. Thank you and good night. Thanks for listening to Tubes and Co. The podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.